0: of our year here at Pine Tree. We started on this Sunday. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we started on this Sunday six years ago in 2017. So even though there's people traveling or gone during the summer, I'm always really excited on this Sunday because it's kind of like the beginning of a new year for me. On that first Sunday, Uh, Back in 2017, we showed up in Longview on a Saturday night. We spent the night in a hotel. I was a little nervous, but also excited about our first Sunday, and I realized that I had no church clothes to wear. So we went to Old Navy that night here in town, and I bought this little church outfit. And I wear it every first Sunday in June as a tradition and it still fits although all morning long i keep trying to tuck my shirt back in so i don't know how long it's going to last this may be the last year for this shirt but i can still fit into it i thought you would clap at that part not at the other part but either way yes i can still fit in this shirt i'm I'm joking you don't have to clap at that Uh, all right so anyways it's exciting thank you for loving me and my family and supporting my ministry And if my voice has grown Tired, or to you, like if you're tired of hearing it, thank you for hanging with me, for giving me grace. I'm a work in progress. I believe we're all maturing. That first Sunday that I was here, Mark chapter 3 and verse 14 was uh, the key text that I used. It's how I ended the sermon. In Mark chapter 3 and verse 14, Jesus calls His 12 apostles to be with Him and to be sent by Him. And I told you, I keyed in on that word with, And I said that we have come here to Pine Tree to be with you while we're with Jesus, while we're with each other, while we're with Jesus together. Kind of like the 12 apostles, were together with each other while they're with Jesus. And I still believe that's true today. So I'm looking forward to year seven. All right, we're going to get into Psalm 131 before I read it for a second time. And I meant to say this earlier before our scripture reading. Johnny Standard read this for us. Uh, I think repetition's a great teacher. So I want you to hear Psalm 131 multiple times today. And maybe you'll even read it from multiple translations to let it begin to really soak into your soul. You may notice that Psalm 131 is only three verses. It's one of the shortest psalms that we have, but it's one of the longest to learn. It is a short psalm, but it's much harder for this to become a part So let's read verses 1 through 3. Song of Ascents, Song of David. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother, my soul is like the weaned child that is with me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time on and forevermore. Amen. Uh, Last year, on May 26, 2022, I remember it because that's my birthday, so I remember we were eating at the Japanese restaurant Sumo here in town to celebrate my birthday. That's the only time I can get my family to go eat uh, some kind of food other than hamburgers and pizza. I'm sorry, I'm they're going to get mad at me for that. I, this, again, two weeks in a row, I've things that I shouldn't say that weren't in my notes. But anyways, we were at Sumo that night. Uh, we were eating, and I got this text message. And, and every day, there's a guy that we grew up with, he's a former youth minister, has been a mentor for my life, my brother's life. He'll send us a text message with a scripture so it's just one verse and then a really short devotional thought to go with it. So in a text message it's not it doesn't take up much space. You can read it in just a few minutes. It's his way of trying to give us some kind of spiritual blessing. Well, on that day, May 26, 2022, he sent us a picture that looked kind of like that and a scripture reference was Psalm 131 verse 2 what we just read. I've calmed and quieted myself, and his devotional thought that day was this is how I feel on day one of retirement. So he had retired. And because of his retirement, he said, Psalm 131 has now become a part of me. I am calmed and quieted in my soul. Or the NIV says, I have calmed and quieted myself. And my thought was, well, congratulations on retirement. It's great to be able to feel that way once you retire, but is it possible to feel that way while you're working? And then I started thinking, because over the last year, since he sent us that text, I became, I guess you could say, infatuated with Psalm 131. Like, I really, I really fell in love with the psalm, and it became a standard for me of what I want to become. But the question is, does Psalm 131 describe me? And you could ask yourself the same thing. Does it describe you? And the honest answer is, from my own perspective, is does this describe me? The answer is no. Now, maybe sometimes, occasionally, like on my day off or on a vacation, but on a day-in, day-out basis of my normal life, I wouldn't, if I'm being honest, I wouldn't say that Psalm 131, I have calmed and quieted my soul, describes my life. But I would say, and I think I'm headed in that direction, I'm in the process of maybe discovering what David discovered here, but I'm just not there yet. And the more that I've spent time with this psalm, the more that I've thought, is it even attainable? Is it possible to get to a place in your life where you can honestly say, I have calmed and quieted my soul? Is it something that maybe you can feel that way one day and then not the next and you slip in and out? Is it attainable? Is it something that we just aim towards but we don't know if we'll ever actually be calmed and quieted in our soul? I want to give you a challenge from the very beginning of this sermon, and that's a memorization challenge. I challenge you, over the next week, to memorize Psalm 131. Do you think you can do it? It's only three verses. So I've spent a whole year reading through Psalm 131, reflecting on it, thinking about how this could turn out in my life, what it would look like in my life. But this past Monday, on Memorial Day, as I knew that I was going to use this text for the sermon, I decided I'm going to start memorizing it. Because again, it's only three verses, I think you can do it, it just took me a few hours here and there, I would just kind of recite it, go over it. But when you memorize Scripture, um, that's not the end goal, but the purpose of memorizing is so that you really dwell on the text, and you really start to meditate on what you're reading. So I challenge you, just a side note, write that down somewhere, try memorizing Psalm 131 prayerfully at some point this week. What does a calm and quieted soul look like? Do you know anybody who may be described by, hey, that person is a calmed and quieted soul in the Lord? Or, maybe a better question would be, based on Psalm 131, verse 2, what would a calm and quieted soul feel like? I think that's probably what we're going for, is we want that feeling of saying, my soul is calm and quieted. What would that feel like? Well, I know what the opposite feels like. I've used this example before in the last six years that I've been here because that's a lot of sermons to preach. And sometimes they get repeated and you don't come every Sunday, so you may not have heard it when I preached it before. And if it's a good example, I'll use it twice or three times. And this example comes from Victor Hugo's book 93. It's a great example, in my opinion, about our inner lives. But in this book, he, part, one of the stories is there's a group of sailors. They're out in the ocean. And they get caught in a really bad storm. And they're afraid. They're not afraid because of the storm. They're experienced sailors. They've been in storms before. They're afraid of what's going on below deck. They were carrying a cannon. And the cannon, because of the storm, had broke loose. And so every time the the ship was tossed to the left or to the right, that cannon was rolling back and forth and hitting the side of the boat. And they were afraid that that cannon was going to bust a hole in the boat, water would come in, and they would sink and drown in the ocean. They weren't so much worried about the storm as they were what was going on beneath the surface. And so two brave guys risked their lives to go down below. I mean, that cannon could have crushed them, it could have knocked them out, but they wanted to grab a hold of that cannon and refasten it. Now, I think that short story is a great metaphor for our inner lives. Because around us, we can't really help what happens to us all the time. We live in a tough world. We live in a fallen world. Bad things happen. We go through trials. People are difficult. We cannot always control our outer circumstances. But what may destroy us is not so much what happens to us, but what happens within us. That's my fear, is I'll be destroyed from within, my responses to what's going on outside of me. We've been in the sermon series called Emotionally Healthy Discipleship that, that I'm finishing up this morning, and then we're going to move on to a new theme called Meeting God on the Mountain. And we'll start that next Sunday. But finishing up this series today, I'll remind you of something that I have said several times over the last couple months. We started this a Sunday after Easter. But the idea, the backbone, the root behind this sermon series is you cannot be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. The two go hand in hand. As you grow in your love for God, you should also be maturing emotionally. So we're going to wrap this series up today, and we're going to use Psalm 131 as a guide. It's only three verses, so let's walk back through it. Starting back in verse 1, if you still have your Bible's open, and I'm doing something rare today where I actually have the text on the screen if you want to follow along that way. So the first part, Psalm of David, he says, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up, my eyes are not raised too high. You know, the way I'm reading this is I think what David is talking about is he's coming before the Lord in a state of humility. He knows the dangers of pride, and probably through life, Life experience and faith development doesn't happen overnight, but through time he has learned the importance of coming before the Lord in a state of humility. My eyes are not raised too high, my heart is not lifted up, and then the second part of that verse is he says, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. It's like he's saying, I have learned through time what's mine to worry about and what's not mine to worry about. My own personal summary of verse 1 is, it's like he's saying, I'm trying to remain humble and stay in my lane. Trying to remain humble and stay in my lane. Well, that has led him to what we look at in verse 2. I have calmed and quieted my soul. So let's start with that. That to me would be the goal. We want to get to a place where in our inner lives, with Christ being formed in us, we can say, I've calmed and quieted my own soul. So think to yourself, what do you think of when you think of something that is calm and quiet? Last year, I took this picture from my iPhone. That's a picture from my iPhone. That's a pretty good picture, and I'll sell it to you if you want me to print one off and give it to you. But this was from the front porch of where we stayed last summer. There's a couple named Cliff and Becky Davis that opened their home to us. They live right outside of Pagosa Springs, Colorado, in the San Juan Mountains. And they let myself, my family come stay there for a week and use their home. Uh, their home is about, oh, well, it's over 7,000 feet in elevation, so you're way up in the mountains. In fact, when they told us uh, the address to their house, they said, don't use Google Maps, use these directions. And I thought, okay, we'll print off the directions, but we're still going to use Google Maps. They're older. They don't realize that Google Maps are improved. But when we got there, we realized there was a point in which Google Maps just stopped. Like, that's how far out they were. And then we had to pull out the directions, like, go .5 miles, turn left at this gate. Another mile, turn right where you see this horse. And we're, like, going through these weird, weird directions. And we made it to their house way out in the mountains, way away from the city, way away from any other kind of life. It was an awesome week, you know, this was when you walk out on the porch, I'll drink my coffee in the morning, and that was our view. It was almost like it wasn't even real. It was great. At nighttime, I could sit in the living room, and I got this great view of the stars. But the last night that we were there, we were there in July, when it's so hot in Texas, it had dropped to probably upper 60s, mid 60 degrees out there in the mountains. So I said, I'm going to go outside for one last night, and I'm going to take in the stars. And I walked outside. I'm looking at the stars. It is a breathtaking view, but what I was surprised because what threw me off was how quiet it was. I mean, it was absolutely silent. I don't know about where you live. But we live in the, the rough city of White Oak, Texas, and every time I step outside, Somebody's got a motorcycle or a really loud truck out there on Teneryville Road. Now, we can hear it. In our, you ever, anybody live in White Oak? You hear that constantly during the night. You're hearing that. You're hearing car doors slamming. Sometimes you hear babies crying down the road. You can hear neighbors talking, and I constantly hear this. That's a pump jack sound. There's noises all the time. I am used to, and I grew up in Greenville in a city, so I'm used to just noise all the time. That night when I stepped out there, it was sheer silence, and I'm not exaggerating. There was absolutely no noise at all. It overwhelmed me. It made me a little uncomfortable, so I I wound up just going back inside. But when David says, I have calmed and quieted my soul, that's what I think of. That night, standing there, so completely peaceful and so completely silent. Now, if there's a need for David, a man after God's own heart, To calm and quiet his soul, that means that maybe he lived for a long time with the opposite. We probably need to calm and quiet our own souls, and we probably live with the opposite. There's probably a good chance that a restless and noisy soul might describe you or me. Or maybe a chaotic soul, or kind of a throwback to something we talked about last year, a disquieted soul. And if that's the case, if most of us may have this loud soul, this noisy soul, where does all the noise come from? Well, I can, I can guess, there's probably more than what I'm about to list, but as we've looked at the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship series, we've had different topics and scriptures we've looked at along the way. If you think about what an emotionally unhealthy disciple or the marks of an emotionally unhealthy disciple is... What I'm about to list to you, if any of it's true of you, that's probably an indicator of why our souls are so noisy. So one example would be if you are constantly distracted or rushed, then you probably have a noisy soul. I, I know I'm not pointing fingers. That describes me a lot of the times. If you can say I have too much to do in too little time, that's going to lead to a pretty noisy soul. If you just say yes to most things that come your way, if you give a knee-jerk reaction, just say yes without prayerfully considering whether or not God would want you to say yes to something, and then you're overcommitted, a noisy soul. Remember David in verse 1 says, I do not occupy myself with things too great or wonderful for me. Another mark of an unhealthy disciple is if you've suffered a loss, if you're dealing with grief, it could be Uh, something that's like a death or a tragedy or maybe something as small as you've lost a friend you've moved whatever it may be our soul has to deal with pain sometimes and we don't want to deal with the pain so we just try to rush move on to the next thing or distract ourselves we suppress the grief the grief and if we do that our souls will eventually cry out we have a lack of love in our our life and in our relationships that's going to lead to a noisy soul. David says, I've calmed and quieted my soul. But if calm and quiet does not describe your relationships and said strife and anger and conflict describes your relationships, your soul is going to get pretty loud. That, that's not a great, that's not a peaceful place to be in. If you're unaware of how your past impacts your present, if you haven't really explored your family of origin or things that have happened to you in your past, you cannot change what you're unaware of. And then if you are focused on what I would call impression management, where you care so much about how other people view you that you want people to see the best in you, and there's nothing wrong with that, but you only want people to see your strengths and never your weaknesses, never become vulnerable well then, eventually, that's going to lead to a chaotic soul because you're suppressing all of that. Those are just a few examples of what it would look like to have a loud and noisy and restless soul, if any of this describes you. But David said, I have learned to calm and quiet my soul. If I have a noisy soul, and I have somebody over here saying, I figured out how to calm and quiet that soul, I want to listen up. I want to know, okay, how can you do that? How How can you calm and quiet your soul? And by the way, that first line in verse 2, I have calmed and quieted my soul. To be honest with you, that's my only problem with this psalm. Because when I'm thinking about it for myself, it's not so much what I can do, but it's what I am, as I take steps towards the Lord, it's what the Holy Spirit will do in me. So it's you partnering with God. So maybe if I reworded that as... Myself and the Holy Spirit, we we're quiet, in the process of quieting and calming our soul. But the next line in that, he says like a weaned child with its mother. I have two children. They were both nursing and then they, we had to wean them at some point. Uh, you know, it's, it wasn't the worst thing in the world, but there's some screaming, there's some upset babies, and, and you have to deny them of something that once brought them comfort so that they can grow up and become mature. That's the first step in a child's life towards maturity, to be denied of something that you want so that you can grow up. And he says, like a weaned child with its mother, so my soul is that weaned child within me. David talks about his soul as if it's something that can be controlled or contained. A calmed and quieted soul, in my opinion, is he is experiencing the fruits of emotionally healthy spirituality. Or for the sake of our sermon series, what we've called Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, as we view this through the lens of Jesus. To calm and quiet your soul, the fruit of that is living this Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. So if we want to be able to join David and say, I have calmed and quieted my soul, we'll look at some of the marks of what an Emotionally Healthy Disciple looks like. Slow down discipleship. This is something that I've talked about several times. To be able to slow down your life. We live at this frantic pace. To slow down just a little bit. And to be with Jesus throughout each day, throughout each week, and throughout the rhythm of your life. Uh, I have this little card up here with me that was in your bulletin insert, if you saw that when you came here today. Uh, Josh Fowler, our family connections minister, made this. And it's simply just a, a small gift to you that maybe you can put in your Bible or in a bookmark somewhere as a reminder to build in a rhythm of being with Jesus throughout each day. It's got a morning and afternoon and evening prayer time if you wanted to follow this schedule, to sit in silence and stillness before God, to pray, to be in God's Word. And and some of you do a great job of that. I talked about that a couple months ago, but some of you need reminders. I know I do, to be with Jesus, to slow down throughout each day like Mary did at the end of Luke chapter 10, to sit at the feet of Jesus and to slow down for a whole day each week. This is the idea of practicing a Sabbath rest. We are human beings, not human doings. We have to slow down. We all have our limits. So slow down and be with Jesus. We can't do more for Jesus than what our relationship with Him can sustain. Embrace God's gift of limits. We all have limits. No one person can do everything. So if you understand where God has gifted you and where your limits are, and you embrace that, that will help you make wise, spirit-led decisions. So you're not overcommitting, or even saying no to something that maybe you should be saying yes to, to lament your losses before God. If you've suffered a loss or pain or grief, instead of ignoring that and suppressing that because your soul will get loud and will eventually cry out to the the point where you can't ignore it anymore, lament your losses before God. The Bible is filled with, especially the book of Psalms, laments. About two-thirds of the Psalms are lament Psalms. So lament your grief before God. Hold that pain with God instead of ignoring it. Slow down and love people well. Something we talked about a few weeks ago. Jesus in John chapter 13 and verse 34 and 35, he says this new command I give you to love one another, and he says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Well, we struggle with truly loving each other, our family, and the world around us because we're almost never present. If we want to actually be present with human beings, not just with our phones or technology, but be present with human beings made in the image of God, we need to slow down. Right? Maybe you just need that reminder. To slow down and be present with others. And to love them. To see them the way that Jesus would see them. Practice looking somebody in the eye and actually listening to where they're coming from and what they're saying. And maybe through that, you might start developing healthier relationships and less conflict and more peace in your life. So quieted and calm soul could come from quieted and calm relationships. Break the power of the past. You know, Do a genogram. Explore your family history, how your family of origin has impacted you, but beyond that, maybe events that have taken place in your life, something that has happened to you, something that somebody has said that you are carrying on your shoulders or on your soul like a heavy weight that's constantly weighing you down. You cannot change what you're unaware of. So break the power of the past. What is it that's holding you down or weighing you down? Have you ever done that work to explore it? And instead of finding strength through trying to manage people's impression of you, find strength through weakness like the Apostle Paul talks about. It's not about how strong and great and tough we are. We're all weak. We all have breaking points, but we have to rely on God's strength. In fact, God tells Paul, my power is made perfect in your weakness. That's hard to embrace. That's mysterious. Now, these are the marks of an emotionally healthy disciple. And as you start living into this, some of the fruit that you experience from that. Is at some point, somewhere down the road, we might be able to read Psalm 131 and say, I'm starting to feel that. I've calmed and quieted my own soul. As a church, our mission statement are these three M's we want to make, mature, and multiply faithful followers of Christ. I point this out because I believe in disciple making, I believe in passing down the faith from generation to generation. With our own families and kids, children's ministry, youth ministry, family units within this church, but also in the community and around the world. I believe in disciple-making. That's what Jesus has called us to. But we cannot give what we do not possess. And if our souls are loud and noisy and chaotic, and we're trying to make disciples, what we're going to be multiplying are noisy, shallow Thin disciples of jesus so we need to practice in our own lives what it looks like to grow into an emotionally healthy disciple to get to this place through time with jesus with the help of the holy spirit to be able to say i have calmed and quieted my soul and then that last verse in psalm 131 says "O israel hope in the lord from this time on forevermore hope is such an important word but to me, it's more meaningful here, because this is a call to hope in the Lord from a calm voice. If we try to encourage other people hope in the Lord, but all they see in us is a noisy, loud soul, that's going to be a really cloudy and confusing message. If we want to call people to hope in the Lord, we should call people to hope in the Lord from a calmed and quieted soul. To become an emotionally healthy disciple, To have a calm and quieted soul just takes time. Something that I've recently been introduced to and done some studying on is one of the oldest trades in human history is that of being a stonemason, stonemasonry. If you look at the uh, Egyptian pyramids, you look at some medieval castles, some large uh, stone farmhouses, structures that have been built by master masons who took these large stones and can cut the exact shapes that were needed to fit with the other stones, and they built these large structures that have weathered the the storms and stood the test of time. These were made by master masons, but they take time to make. In, In our world today, from what I've studied, to become a master mason takes a long time. You start off as an apprentice of another master mason, you learn the trade, Uh, You learn the language, the tools, how everything works. That takes several years. Then you move on to a journeyman or a journeywoman, and that could take five to seven more years. And before you would ever graduate to become a master mason, where you could go out and construct a building and cut the stone and and fit the stones together, it may take 10 to 15 years before you would ever become a master mason. It takes a long time. We live in a world that likes shortcuts and microwaving food and instant gratification, and uh, we have social media right in our hands where the news comes in just like that, so we don't really have the patience to go through a program that would take 10 to 15 years. So we've developed something called stone cladding. We want our houses or our buildings to look like it's made out of big, beautiful stones, but really it's just a thin layer of stone that apparently anybody can do. You can get on YouTube and watch a YouTube video, and you can learn how to do stone cladding. Put it on your wall. It's not what's going to actually hold up your house, but it looks nice. It's not the real thing, but it looks nice. And that's kind of what discipleship has become in our culture. We're more of like cladding discipleship. At least on the popular level is what's accepted as Instead of the real thing, instead of taking the 10 to 15 years to be an apprentice of Jesus, to learn what it looks like, to put the practice and the way of Jesus into your life through your marriage, through your singleness, through your work life, through your family life, through your language, through your disciplines, through the different stages of life, what does it look like to be faithful to Jesus? That takes time. Instead of doing that, we look more like cladding discipleship, where we just take a thin layer, throw it on top, and say, that'll do. So which one would you choose? Would you choose the route that takes the longer time, but the Holy Spirit is slowly developing within you a calm and quieted soul? Or would you rather just take that thin layer and just say, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, and then just move on about your life and just kind of dabble in it sometimes? What I'm hoping that we're all called to here is that deeper discipleship, not the shallow discipleship, where we choose to partner with and follow Christ for the long haul and let the Holy Spirit do that work on us that we need and that the world around us desperately needs. This morning, I'm about to offer an invitation to you and we're going to sing another song or two before we head off to class uh, if. If you need prayers, if you want to put on Christ in baptism, if you feel like you, your soul is noisy and chaotic and we can talk to you and help you in any way, I'm going to be up front, so will an elder with me. But if you need a private conversation, we'll have some elders around the room. I want to invite everybody to stand back up. Let's continue to sing.